to open. Yes, and what do you do? Excellent question. I don't know what you're talking about, but whatever it was, I have a feeling you just did it again. I walk in eternity. That's quite a god complex you have there. Dear Lord, how do you cope with all that ego? Well, that killed the mood. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, a podcast about Doctor Who that takes the entire show in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are two journalists going through Doctor Who in very random order and uh, enjoying watching it all over again, uh, sometimes for the first time. And and not in this case. In this mm. case, we have yep. a our first proper return to the Matt Smith era, um, and it's, indeed, it's been interesting. Yeah, so looking forward to well, talking about that. We'll be looking forward to talking about the God Complex. Mm. That is the one the episode you've landed on uh, that we've landed on, and yeah, it was very interesting to revisit. The, uh, and if you're the, anything like me last week, you're like, the God Complex? Which one was that one? <laughs> well, this one I found very memorable. Um, it's very unusual and where it starts and where it ends up. But we'll get to it. Um, mm. It's a In good one. Uh, but the uh, one thing I wanted to uh, mention and just jump into is like I wanted to say thank you all uh, fans who are also following us on TikTok. Uh, I pulled it open on TikTok. It's been Fantastic, fun, uploading videos there. We're trying to do more and more uh, with every show. But the response has been great, especially to the last couple of episodes. The last one we did was Hell Bent, And uh, people have strong opinions, wouldn't you know, about uh, Clara's final episode and also how to pronounce Clara, which Clara? I've been told is oh, not Clara. correct. It's actually Clara, which I did know. But I, I, I forgive my uh, my Canadian accent. You know, you know what? There are there are so many Clara splinters that I'm sure some of them are called Clara. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll try I'll try to do better, guys. Clara. I mean, look, if she's going to run around the universe in an American diner, she can only <laughs> expect that people are going to pronounce her name with an American twist. So I think that I Indeed. think that's fine. I think she's she had it coming. Oh boy, that's not. I'm, <laughs> oh, gonna, oh. I'm getting trouble for that one. <laughs> well, she's also running around with me, who you know, mm-hmm. aka Shilda. So. Clearly, they, they both have this thing about like having different names. So, you know, I, I feel like uh, Clara is going to require different pronunciations of her name just to keep up with me. Yeah, absolutely. She's got a lot to share, having lived to the end of time, <laughs> uh, which we didn't get into too much in that episode. But how did she not just go nuts? Like, how is she not a mad woman, having lived for trillions of years or whatever it was? But anyway. Uh, rereading her diaries. Yeah. That's, that's how we do it, people. Yeah, exactly. Just keep rereading them. Maybe she took out that memory card that she put in and just, you know, she doesn't she doesn't lose since she loses her memory. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Since she only yeah. has finite memory, she's okay. I'm sure by the end of the universe she will have digitized all her diaries. Hmm. And she's probably just sitting there waiting for the doctor in the ruins of Gallifrey, kind of thumbing through, you know, uh photographs of her diary pages in in her phone. <laughs> Cuz what totally. else would you do? Well, you guys won't have to wait um, too long for us to get at the new episodes because uh, we're going to be uploading this one pretty quick. But uh, no one needs to wait anymore um, for new Doctor Who because we are in the midst of the flux, we are uh, which indeed. continues. 
Um, but before we talk a little bit about what's going on in current Doctor Who, uh, I want to thank again everyone at TikTok and all the socials for following us. But if you could, uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, we would love it if you could also leave a review on whatever podcast services you're listening to, especially Apple, because those reviews really do make a difference in how you're sort of surfaced on the app. So if you could, please go over to your podcast app, give us a rating. You can just give us a star rating, not telling you what to put. But as I've said, we love those five star reviews. They're very much uh, a special place in our hearts. Uh, But yeah, if you could just leave a rating or review, uh, we're really trying to push uh, to get some more reviews. And uh, we're happy to keep doing these and uh, uploading stuff to TikTok and just getting building the community, which is and we, almost and we 3,000 strong on TikTok now. It, it really is. It's taken off like a rocket on TikTok. And we know you like to review us because we're kind of getting oblique reviews on TikTok in the comments. <laughs> uh, Pete, I believe we, we have our first binge listener. We have a first binge listener. Yeah. Thank you for discovering us. So I don't have the name handy, but uh, one of the more recent comments on, on a video, uh, they discovered us through TikTok and went through the entire pull to open catalog on the uh, podcast side. So thank you very much for giving us all those listens. I got to say the uh, the last few episodes, especially Day of the Doctor, but Hellbound as well, really took off faster than any other uh, episode we've had. So, you know, we definitely feel the momentum. We want to do more stuff. We've been a little lax on YouTube, but we're there. We're going to get those videos up. So that'll be another way people will be able to enjoy the show uh, once we're able to catch up a bit. But um, it's just been growing and growing, and we're looking forward to uh, having even more as uh, you know we get into the zone of the the New Year's special and the specials coming in next year. Uh, this is a very interesting time for the show, obviously, because we're in kind of a transition phase. At some point, they're going to announce the new Doctor, and mm. we'll be on top of all that. So. Keep on listening. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. And we have a new TikTok uh, most watched video. Uh, oh, as yes. Of last episode, as of Hellbent. Yeah. And, uh, so, what is it, Pete? Well, we have, like, um, from Hellbent, one of them was extremely popular. Uh, it's about Clara. <laughs> and <laughs> go. oh my God, I got to look it up. I think it was the one where we talk about. How she could be like there were ways they could have brought her back in Hellbent besides taking her out of time, and one way they could have done, which they didn't do, was just take a Clara Splinter and uh, sort of do it that way. They didn't do it, but it, it sort of uh, people um, did like revisiting the whole idea of even if they might not have liked the choice, they liked revisiting the idea of Clara uh, and what uh, how they brought her back. And people wanted to sort of share thoughts about her. A lot of people were fans. Some people, not so many fans. Uh, generally, people were very positive in their comments, gen- like about the show. Although, you know, certainly Clara, Clara, <laughs> whoever, however you pronounce <laughs> both, it. Both of them. Both, both of, of them, them generate a lot of controversy. Or yeah, but controversy. honestly, what, it's, what, it, what that has done also is fuel our most, po- now our most popular video on TikTok, which is one from Face the Raven, Mm. actually and it talks about and uh very deservedly actually our, i would say our most popular video because it, it's when we talked about the most affecting scene in that episode which of course is the speech that yeah. uh, or the 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 line that clara gives uh capaldi about how his reign of terror was going to end the moment there was a crying child and that's yeah that is such a moment i think uh, a lot of people just you know brought tears to our eyes so i still got shivers 
from from yeah. just thinking about that line. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? Maybe maybe if people people love the Clara, maybe we should have a new regular feature. Uh, regular listeners know that we do the "What if the evil plot has succeeded?" Uh, for for every story that we revisit, and maybe we should also look at where is the Clara Splinter in this episode? Which, <laughs> where where might she it. be? Which corner is she lurking around? How how is she going to? Uh, hang out and make sure that the doctor's okay. So we'll, we'll have to start thinking about that going forward. Uh, just so our TikTok uh, followers can get their Clara content that they crave so much. Oh, you know, I, I love it because this serves as a great way to retcon over certain plot holes. Like if we, <laughs> if there's ever some part of the story that's just kind of threatening and forgotten about, yeah. I think we can assume the Clara splinter just yeah. came and got dealt with it. Yeah, yeah, maybe for most stories, she's just coming in afterwards doing cleanup on on various plot holes and various <laughs> messes that the Doctor has left behind because we know he likes to leave a mess wherever he goes. He just gets into his box like, oh, I'm done. And, Indeed. Uh, I'm out of here. On to my next yeah, adventure. Speaking of messes, Chris, shall we <laughs> Shall we talk a little bit about Flux? <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Well, wow, Pete. <laughs> but that's my segue. That's my best segue so far. Um, so I, I, I'm going to confess right here, right up front, I have not seen much of Flux. I have seen the first episode, Chapter 1, the mm. Halloween Apocalypse, but I haven't seen any others. So I've not much, I haven't progressed very much since our last. By the way, when we're recording this, I believe the first four <laughs> episodes have been broadcast. I'm sorry, guys, I've been busy. Yes. <laughs> we're I on to the, the fifth this weekend we are recording this just after thanksgiving and uh yeah i have seen all four so far and i have to say the halloween apocalypse is probably the worst episode of the four hmm. so you you've got some good things to look forward to pete yeah it's i didn't hate it at all i, I thought it was fun um there was some good stuff in it some confusing stuff in it some really weird tasting stuff in it hmm. uh but i would say that there is just so many characters that are introduced in this episode. You have yes. like uh, Dan, you have the Sontarans, you have the bad guy in the prison and his sister. Um, you, you know, the, I, I could go on. There's, there's yeah, more the, on top the of dog, that, The dog whose name I the, keep forgetting. Uh, the dog and um, Dan's friend um, and his other friend. <laughs> so like there's... There's a there's just a, a lot going on that you, I had to watch it twice um, to kind of even keep it straight in my head and sort of figure out who was who because mm. uh, they try to there's certain little mysteries they have early on like that weird shadow person who turns out to be the dog who who kept the doctor and Yaz over the the lava or whatever mm-hmm. and that was, that's kind mm-hmm. of a weird thing but but generally it was sort of a lot of fun uh, Dan's very appealing. Um, there, how, there's, how there's, was, how were the accents? How was Dan's accent? Tough, it, it, not too uh, tough, but tough enough. And that like, I, there were lines I definitely caught the second time, uh, that I didn't. <laughs> it's a little too time. Liverpool. If, if it helps Pete, I can talk in a Liverpool accent for the entire episode. <laughs> and, uh, maybe that would help acclimatize you to Dan's accent. It, it in fact hinders Grace. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, he, he's, he's good. Um, he he's very like more you know it's great to get the person who's really you know down to earth and you finally sort of have that that uh, cipher for the audience again mm. with Dan and he's he he has sort of shows the right level of exasperation throughout mm. I feel like and, and confusion and you know it's it's he it just you know his his part is to make it all feel true and it works um, so when he's on screen it's you know it's it, the fun sort of and and the the experience is just a little bit better. 
Yeah, and we we know from from our experience of of traveling randomly through the history of Doctor Who, he's not technically the first companion from Liverpool since the uh, actress who played Vicky uh, was uh, was a Liverpool actress, and uh, mm. you know, but he's the first overtly Liverpudlian companion of the Doctor. And it is bizarre that, that the show has not really gone there before. You know, there's, there was the brief shot of the Beatles, obviously. Um, you know, I think that that appears in, is that right. Dalek Master Plan? Um, oh, there was in uh, The Chase. In The Chase, yes, you're yeah. right. And, Where uh, Liverpool is actually mentioned by Vicky, yeah. as, as luck would have it. Yeah, but they've ne- we've never actually been there before. Uh, and it, it seems like such an obvious place for the Doctor to hang out, being, you know, the port city uh, full of uh, many different aliens, as it were. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of mixing and mingling and a lot of people who are, are ready for new and unusual things because they see it all the time. So it seems like a natural home for Doctor Who. And uh, I'm very glad, as someone who was born in Liverpool, I was very glad to see it get such uh, representation on the screen. And hopefully a lot of people will go and visit that museum. That I was uh, just thinking uh, about that in terms of like <laughs> alien things and look yeah. a little out of place, but possibly a TARDIS. The museum <laughs> looked pretty cool. Have, you, a, have you been to it, Chris? How long has yeah, it been there? Yeah, I believe so. I, I, I go back to Liverpool regularly to visit my relatives there. And uh, I, I, I cannot tell you exactly how long it's been there, but certainly since it was the, the city of culture, uh, and <laughs> speaking of weird alien things, you know how you know cities when when they're like designated the city of culture or whatever European city of culture they they get a thing and it's it's very much like how San Francisco has its hearts everywhere, right? Know, giant giant painted hearts throughout the city. Liverpool, when it was the city of culture, had this thing called a super lamb banana, which I will never forget. <laughs> really sounds like sounds it should be rude. a Doctor Who uh, monster, but it is a just this weird creature that's. Half lamb, half banana. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something from like a Pertwee episode. <laughs> yes, that that would be perfect for it. But that that was the sign, and you can still see all over Liverpool super lamb bananas. Uh, so hopefully they will they will feature in Flux at some point. So Chris, having seen more Flux than I have, mm. is it fluxing in the right direction for you? It is. I'm a little concerned because it is, uh, without spoiling anything, it's getting back to the the sort of the new mystery about the Doctor and the Doctor's origins. We are mm. we are going there. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, there there is a returning character. I'm not going to say much more than that. But um, what I remember that when we were discussing at the end of last season, our big concern was that they were just sort of going to paper over the whole timeless children thing, the whole thing right. with the doctor working for the division. Uh, they have not done that. And um, episode four ends on a marvelous cliffhanger that I cannot wait to discuss with you. Um, but uh, nice. yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about that next time. <laughs> Indeed. You'd keep the cliffhangers coming. Well, that mm-hmm. sounds interesting. I'm intrigued and I'm looking forward to, fluxing it up uh, in the coming weeks. But that is not what we're actually here to talk about today. Today, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're going back to the Matt Smith era. We have are at um, Series 6, Episode 222, or 224 in the Pull to Open Codex. Mm. Um, it is the God Complex, 
And yeah. Chris, as we do with every episode oh, that boy. we do, we now have the part of the show we call TLDW, Too Long Doctor Who, where one of us summarizes the entire plot of the episode in record time. Oh, and boy. I am so happy to be able to say it's not me. It is you this week. With oh, no assistance, I've... no open tabs, nothing to refer to. You're going to need to summarize what happens in the God Complex in one minute flat. Can you do it? Uh, you I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little rusty, Pete, because it's been I've, – I've had two episodes off from doing this. I know. Of course, we had the wonderful Lisa Stern in our Day of the Doctor episode doing our TLDW. So – I think I'm ready. I think this is a fairly easy story to summarize. <laughs> Famous mm. last words, but uh, but we'll see. For for new episodes, we give ourselves a minute, um, you know, per per uh, fifty minute episode. Right. So I'm roughly roughly thirty seconds per like twenty five minutes. That's yeah, kind of what yeah. that's our thing. Yeah. All right. So. Well, we're going to get going in just a few seconds. Need to take a breath. <laughs> take a swig of water. Okay, yes, we can water. We can water. Okay. Get, some, get get some mm. flux from the time vortex. Feel <clears throat> it pass flexing. through you. I'm fluxing. <clears throat> All right, I'm ready. Right, here we go. In three, in two, in one, and go. Okay, so the Doctor, Amy, and Rory land in the TARDIS in this 1980s hotel. Only it turns out it's not a hotel. It's uh, it's some sort of weird prison because there are the doors and the windows don't go anywhere. And they uh, meet a bunch of people. Uh, mostly from Earth, uh, except there's this one alien who always uh, loves surrendering to everyone, and uh, they, they uh, find a guy who's uh, been trapped in his nightmare. His nightmare involves lots of clowns. Uh, oh, in the cold open, there was uh, like a police officer who uh, uh, sees something that she fears and then starts saying praise him. And this happens starts happening to almost everyone that they start saying praise him um, after after they open the the room. Uh, you know, lots of different rooms in this hotel, and the hotel keeps changing and stretching and weirdly expanding. And and when they see their fear, they start saying praise him. Then they get uh, eaten by this this minotaur-like creature, and the minotaur-like creature turns out to be like this uh, uh, alien prison guard. And it's just actually and not activating time. their fears; it's activating their faith. And then the doctor drops off Amy and Rory because he's told Amy that he's no longer a hero and he's not the hero that she should have been waiting for because that was what was in her room. Uh, damn, <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> he did all right. I oh, mean, Rory, Rory gets a car. I'm just going to add that as the 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 thing that I think people ignore about the God Complex is Rory gets a very nice red sports car. Doesn't he? It's a yeah. gorgeous car. So you did that in about a minute twenty or so. Oof. Uh, wow. Plus or minus a few for the car. Um, <laughs> I was overconfident, Pete. That's that's what it did. I, I was, no, I know. I when I was doing Hell Bent, I mean that was a tougher one probably because it mm. moves around a lot. But uh, there's a, there's a you know a lot a lot of points made in in an hour's worth of Doctor Who and a lot of you know various characters introduced, especially this one. I mean, there's not too many characters in it. It's not like Flux. Mm. Um, and they're all pretty rote. Like they're all pretty like, you know, they're here for <laughs> essentially to get killed off one by one mm-hmm. so that we can sort of feel the peril and get progressively more concerned about it. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's, um, I don't know. I, I would say it's, it's kind of one of the more, I mean, Dr. Who's always contrived to a certain extent, like, you know, that it's twisted up to make sure, you know, you, you there's a, there's an interesting mystery at the the in, in the center of this 
um, of this story. But I feel like in this case, I, I was, um, I think it works. Here's the thing. I do think the episode works because of what the overall point ends up being between him and, and the point it makes about the doctor and his relationship with his companions. And in particular, Amy, obviously. And that works. The twists and turns they got to get there, there's about one or two too many that you're just kind of like, it's never quite fully fleshed out or explained. And you're just kind of like, huh? Well, well, why was why was this that? And also, I'll, yeah. I'll cite one of them here just to kind of pick it apart. There's a few I, 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 I could zero in on. But one is, this is kind of more of a, a an atmosphere thing. It was the dummies. There's the mm. point where Joe is tied up and all these dummies are in the room and they're sort of laughing and they're kind of turning, you know, they're sort of almost reacting like characters. Right. And they kind of come in and they get Joe out of it, but then nothing's ever sort of talked about again about the dummies and they're all kind of sort of stacked up to one side of the stage later. Yeah. And did no one, you're kind of like, wait, did no one wonder who was controlling the dummies or what that was about? <laughs> like, Well, it is weird because at some, at a certain point we see uh, weeping angels, right. And they, they, in one of the rooms, uh, which turns out to be the most scary thing for the, the guy who likes right. to be invaded and dominated. Um, and, uh, they, but they are illusions. You can put your hands through them. So why aren't the dummies illusions? The dummies appear to be actual physical objects, right. as you say. And they're just sort of, lined up on the stage there with with an increasing amount of dead bodies yeah the, the, there are a lot of weird choices in this episode weird weird choices of setting uh the 1980s kind of crappy british hotel style is never explained exactly why it's like that because yeah. this is this is it turns out to be a prison for multiple species we see photographs on the wall of every species that or you know every every character has been trapped in here there's a sontaran you know uh there's a jadoon a very a lot of lot of creatures from from all over the doctor who canon have been stuck in this nightmare place and i guess had their faith activated and and then uh, the minus consumed, consumed uh, and then fed off. But it just so so why the eighties hotel? And then you know, in, in in a productions from a production standpoint, is is the hotel that scary? Right. I mean, it's it's not The Shining. So, the, but I did think that worked. I will give it that credit. See, I, I it's not scary, but it's creepy. It doesn't have to be terrifying, right? Hmm. But it is like weird and ugly and just unsettling. So I thought I thought in terms of racking up the the creepiness it was almost like um it was almost like kind of a tour de force in some ways because the 80s thing works for me. Uh just, just sort of as this flavor that just feels wrong. Hmm. Um I felt like the stuff in the rooms even though it wasn't none of it was really scary like even the clown the yeah. idea that something is pursuing you in a hotel and you know, rightly or wrongly, and I would say wrongly, you go into a room like go because going into the room, there's only one exit from a hotel room and it's the way you got in. So <laughs> if you go into a room, it's basically a dead end. So you're yeah. just waiting to die um, if it's something that's coming to kill you. So that was kind of good. And then the, the whole thing about the episode, uh, which I think really makes it scary, is that you're possessed. You, at some point, if you if you're taken by this thing, it's not just something that catches up with you and kills you. It actually makes you want to die, 
and you don't quite know how it does that. And that's the most terrifying thing of all. So in terms of like a creepy kind of scary episode, I'd actually give this one fairly high points. But I do think like it wouldn't even be that hard. They don't really just explain a lot of it that well. Like at the end, you want to sort of like to make a little more sense that it does. Because I think mm-hmm. and I believe this is how they explain it. Like it's not a prison for the people there. It's the prison for the Nymon like Minotaur thing. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of a prison that's sort of floating through space that's harvesting people to feed yeah. the prisoner, which is yeah. like, if you think about that at all, like, wait a minute, like who, <laughs> what, just, what, just who the hell him, designed this? Just Some leave him psychopath? a big bag. Yeah. Leave him a big bag of Minotaur kibble. Uh, <laughs> really have had the same effect. I really, yeah, I don't get it at all. Um, it's kind of a missed opportunity in a lot of ways. I maybe the fact that I don't find the hotel creepy is the fact that I, uh, growing up in Britain in the eighties, stayed in a lot of hotels that look like that. So it just sort of seems mm-hmm. sad to me. Like I can yeah. I can smell the, the the beer stains in the bar and and just, just didn't have so. money for renovation. <laughs> <laughs> also, it kind of looks like the same corridor, doesn't it? Every, every yeah. single corridor they're in looks like the same one corridor. So it looks like super cheap old school Doctor Who with one corridor. Um, yeah, agreed. Although the spa looks quite nice. Yeah, the the <laughs> I I will agree with you that yet yeah, the, the the spa was sort of a weird addition. Like that's the the yeah. final showdown with the 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 minotaur creature. The doctor's in this spa with him, and he's behind the 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 the, the sort of uh, waterfall space. And there's there's a whole right. subplot with a goldfish that makes no sense. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about me. that. Yeah, it's a forgettable subplot. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Perhaps the most forgettable subplot well, in Doctor Who. I also thought the the Minotaur stuff, like they show you a little too much of the beast early on. Like it's not they're, mm. they're sort of trying to have their cake and eat it too, and showing that this thing's sort of a what it is, while also not showing you it in its entirety, just because mm. that would be you know obviously you just not a thing you do but so i felt like once you sort of know more what it is like and the shape of it you're kind of like oh that's not that's not as scary anymore it's Um, not a particularly scary beast uh the so i was watching this with my wife who is afraid of clowns mm -hmm. and uh when when we get to the the room with the sad clown sitting in she's like that's actually that's not a scary clown so like if you're not even like that is a low bar to jump scaring people with clowns right? right Uh, especially in the in the era of it, that should not be hard. Especially that that clown is holding a red balloon, very very redolent of it, and yeah. uh, the, the whole Stephen King thing. Um, and yet it didn't it didn't scare a person who was scared of clowns, right? And that's sort of how I feel about a lot of the rooms. They should be scary, like you know. The, this is the whole episode has a 1984 feeling, right? Yeah. It's this idea of room 101. Uh, whatever in there is the the scariest thing in the world, uh, and there's even another reference to 1984. By the way, when Joe says, "Here comes a chopper to chop off your head," that's right. also a nursery rhyme used in 1984 to great effect by George Orwell. Not really particularly clear why it's being used here. Um, it is scary. The the praise him part is scary, and that's classic Doctor yeah. Who in terms of like you have a thing that you can just sort of say to each other on the playground the next day, which is just sort of you just randomly break into praise him. Mm-hmm. Right. And in fact my wife and I were doing that on the couch to each other watching this. We just like she turned to me at one point during the show and just said, Praise him. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just said praise him back. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think that works. I like the praise yeah. him bit where it, it's it's a thing that you know is is it uncommon where it's like the verbal tick that signals mm. you're in danger, and then the thing is coming or whatever. And um, I think in our run, this the episode that also had a not quite the same, but a similar kind of phrase catchphrase where the the evil evils happening was um invisible enemy where it was contact has been made oh yeah um and so that that just sort of gives you an extra shutter and certainly mm-hmm. when it happens to amy it's it's a great moment um so so that was you know like i say i get i give it points for scaring you with the less obvious stuff because i completely yeah. agree with you that the stuff none of the stuff in the rooms is scary <laughs> and the only thing that's interesting about any of that, in my view, was the – well, there were two things. There was Amy's, where she's a little girl again, mm-hmm. waiting for the doctor who's never going to come. Yeah, and that's then, a scary thing. Yeah. Um, which, again, wasn't wasn't scary per, per se, but it is like, oh, you just feel sad and like, oh, of course, that's her thing. And the other one was the doctors, which just yeah. makes you interested because you're like, what 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 is easy? It's just – I forget what he says. He says <laughs> – who else would it be? Something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. Who, who else would it be? Of course. Yeah. So the Doctor goes into a room, room number 11, mm. which the 11th Doctor, as he still is, this being pre-war Doctor, uh, walks in, and we hear the sound of the cloister bells. Right. And which is interesting. So a couple of interesting reasons why the randomizer has taken us here from Hellbent. First of all, now we know what the cloister bells are. We know their origin on Galifrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just the TARDIS uh, signaling its, you know, intent that there's there's something scary about to happen or uh, some some grave danger. It's actually uh, a an effect of the Matrix, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so so that's what's going on in Room Eleven. But again, just like Hellbent, one of my complaints about Hellbent was that we. It, it sort of points at a lot of Doctor mythology without kind of daring to go there. Like it, it, it there's there's a one reference to the TV movie and the idea that Doctor may be half human, and we were lamenting the fact that the Doctor says, "Does it matter?" When we're like, "Yes, it matters." So <laughs> once again, here is an episode that uses the cloister bells and gets into this whole thing of like, oh, the, it's it's Doctor mythology right here what is the one thing that scares the doctor and he went and we're not told again it takes the easy way out yeah it's it's it, it, we're not told um i think that's deliberate mm. obviously it's deliberate but i mean in terms of like um did moffat even know what was in there by the you know thinking about mm. the what he reveals it at the end of time of the doctor or in time of the doctor uh we don't have to spoil it here we'll spoil we'll spoil this episode but not necessarily future <laughs> ones um so I think, in other words, I think that was all a setup for that. The mm. problem with it is, I, I don't think it works for this episode, right? Because no. it's like, is he? It, it, they never really answer. Is he frightened of things? Does he have a faith? They kind of allude to it, but they never say he does or what it is. Because Amy just asked him at the end, "Well, you know, you had a room. You you clearly have a fear, and and he thought the the place or the Nymon beast." wanted something from you what was it and he just just glossed over (laughs) just no and i don't think i don't think it's satisfyingly explained by reveal the reveal in the time of the doctor either right 
it just seems one of those things that's sort of calculated to make long-term fans go, ooh, ooh, was it the Valyard? Uh, was it, you know, uh, I don't know, was it uh, the uh, the Dream Lord? Um, you know, right. was it was it someone? So here's the interesting thing. The, the title of the episode is The God Complex, mm-hmm. uh, which is a reference to narcissistic personality disorder. And we're, we're never quite told, like, obvi- obviously the, the Minotaur prisoner creature is supposed to be kind of like a god and they and they praise him and it's, it's and it's complex yeah <laughs> <laughs> the god with the extra complexity but obviously there's sort of supposed to be this this reference to the doctor as god which is something that new who has has uh investigated right. a lot and there's the whole scene where the minotaur when he's dying he's like you know how horrible it is to be a creature in a cage with or a creature in a labyrinth, or whatever it is, or an ancient creature, hands, uh, with blood on your hands, and, yeah. and how how hard that would be. Um, and actually, that was longing for uh, death, something like that. Longing for death. Oh, here we go. An ancient creature drenched in the blood of the innocent, drifting in space through an endless shifting maze. For such a creature, death would be a gift. And then the mm-hmm. Minotaur then tells the Doctor he was not talking about himself, but then the Doctor. Now, now this was the first line that that Toby Whithouse, who wrote the episode. Um, uh, wrote when when he was planning it, so it's clearly from the very beginning intended to be a commentary on the Doctor himself. Um, hmm. But it doesn't quite follow through. It doesn't. I mean, his his potential new companion. We should mention we ha- we haven't mentioned her at all. Rita, right, uh, is a woman in this episode who kind of is you know the the best of the of the the gang that they meet in the hotel and the doctor definitely starts he starts flirting with her if that's the right word for what the <laughs> I doctor think it's does the right word when, the way when, he does it he, like you know a new companion yeah, he's, he's clearly looking her at new companion he does this sort of call me sign like you know he's like call me you know you, yeah. could, you could be the next one you could replace amy <laughs> well that's um, a, i thought that was one of the best that was the funniest yes. stuff in the episode so amy, with regret she, you're fired so that was wonderful and so you know nice nicely mirrored by the fact that amy and rory do actually leave although it turns Mm. out to be temporary at the end of the episode uh but she also has this line about oh why why do you the doctor think that it's your role to come in and save us like that's kind of a weird thing um Mm. and of course we the audience look at that and say oh yeah that, that is kind of a weird thing the doctor always does this and Maybe that is a bit sort of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe is uh, Gallifrey explaining us all, all the time. Um, yeah, it definitely maybe. gives multiple meanings to the title. I mean, yeah. uh, but again, I think it works. But they I don't that- get into it. They don't get into it. Like that, there's just that one line that Rita says, and then it's it's just sort of left hanging there. So uh, even it's though it's left Moffat hanging there, but I think. This- Here's the thing. I don't. I think it still works, though. Um, and that's even though there's not a lot of exposition. What he ends up doing at the end, like rather, I think some people have sometimes criticized this episode as like the ending where he drops off Amy and Rory as like kind of tacked on or a bit of a non sequitur. I disagree. I think I think the ending actually really follows exactly sort of what what was sort of laid bare with the doctor and his relationship with his companions in that episode. So I think Rita's dialogue there is one of the first sort of challenges to. Mm who he is. And again, he's the, the Amy and Rory are the companions that he has with him. But I mean, if you think about 
everybody in that hotel ostensibly his companion obviously Rita's like the one that you're supposed to think of in this way but he's really there like the doctor wants to save everybody mm-hmm. and i feel like those first two people who die joe and howie like there's a there's a bit of a weird it's almost like their deaths are underplayed and this might be a little bit purposeful i'm mm-hmm. going to give credit to the episode that i think it was but it, you don't really feel it until rita dies but but, but you kind of should – the doctor – and I hope the doctor feels this way because as an audience member I did, you feel kind of guilty for not feeling so bad about those other two. And mm. he didn't save them. I think he saw they could just as easily have been Amy and Rory. And I'm also sort of feeling like, well, what if – why am I – I shouldn't feel good about that, that they survived and these other people didn't. And so he has he has a bit of a crisis of faith, in other words, in, in himself and what he's doing and he's like, okay, you know, I can't do this anymore and with you guys. And he basically, you know, does something somewhat out of care. Like he doesn't usually do this. Usually it's the companions who leave. He just like kicks them out for their safety, um, which all, which all work, which works. And I could get into a little bit. I think it actually works in terms of their arc with the doctor as well. Cause we all know it wasn't the end for them. Um, right. They keep coming back around. And I think, it like you know you almost think like could, could you not decide uh, Stephen Moffat whether you wanted to keep these people around or not and he eventually they come back around and I, I feel like when um, a, a, a lot of episodes are like you know they're, they're they're it's written in a way that they don't choose to be together right like the Daleks kidnap mm-hmm. them and um, he's pulled in for some other reason in uh, the the wedding of River Song. Um, but when they get back together in the power of three, and I will spoil that episode a bit, yeah. I think that that's a good bookend to this episode because then they go in eyes wide open. They're basically like, look, we're, we're linked. We belong with you and this is our lives. And we're going in choosing to be with you and live this life of danger and adventure, knowing our luck's going to run out someday. And it does eventually like in the very next episode mm. like it's a you know the the, the time of the or was uh, angels take manhattan angels um, take manhattan yeah. uh, which is angels take manhattan is foreshadowed in this episode mm. where the doctor says something like i don't want to be standing over your grave one day yes and and you're like wow okay did moffat know that was was that his plan uh that that amy and rory would 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 be uh, sent back in time by the angels in the next season. And the doctor would be standing over their grave. Um, like how, how much of a long game was he playing here? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like we'd have to ask, like, did he, did he know that he wanted them to leave that way with the angels? Mm. I think he probably would have at this point, actually. It does seem a bit too, uh, a bit too coincidental for it to be anything other than planned. Knowing Moffat, who does like to plan a lot of things in advance, and then annoyingly doesn't plan a lot of things in advance and just sort of, yeah. you know, throws throws in random ideas at the last minute. Um, but yeah, so I, I it like, does. yeah, I like the character arc here, yeah. as it as in the sort of grand pantheon of Amy and Rory in terms of how this works as an episode. Uh, like mm-hmm. it's, it's mostly, I think it, it, it's mostly a pass. It mostly works, but you know, we've, we've, we've gone into like parts of like, we've only actually explored parts of why this episode doesn't work logically. Like it's like the hotel sort of reconfigures itself. And I guess that's cause it's kind of like a holodeck, but it's mm-hmm. never really clear why it's doing that. Like in the sense of like, 
are you actively working against the people in there? And if you are, why are why why as as like this the hotel, I guess, why are you letting them stay together? You know, I feel like mm-hmm. they they sort of get to know the configuration of the hotel a little bit and that works for them and they even set up a trap for the Nymon creature. But how could you even yeah. do that if the walls keep shifting, you know? Like how do you even know where anything is? And we don't like, even get a moment of the wall shifting, right? So it just that that contributes to the feeling that they shot this in one corridor and one reception area and one stairwell. Right. It yeah. really just feels like there are just those three locations. Uh, apart from inside the room, uh, amazingly, I, I just I read up on the episode and discovered these it, it, most of the hotel areas were, were a set. Like I just sort of assumed hmm. that they found the crappiest eighties hotel they could possibly <laughs> find. Uh, uh, lit they it all can't like, be diners, <laughs> but they lit it like crazy. I think that was the other big mistake in, in the the setting in this episode. It's like that every single light is on. This must be the brightest hotel. Uh, the brightest crappy eighties hotel that I think I, anyone has ever stayed in. And wow, just sort of, they like, weren't even crazy. LEDs back then. Think of the power bill. I know, I know, and like you know, maybe if the lights went off at some point, like okay, the lights do flicker in the room with the angels in. True. Uh, yeah, which is like the only time the lights flicker. But it's like, come on, people, it's scary hotel one hundred and one. Gotta have the lights either down low or flickering or out in some corridor, right? Play around mm. with light. But no, this whole episode is so brightly lit. You're like, oh, please turn it down. <laughs> like, I don't want to see the monster that clearly. Yeah, it's almost like they were challenging themselves to make it scary, even though it was so well lit. <laughs> like, this is the thing. It's like, no, didn't work, guys. <laughs> didn't pull it off. You're not Wes Craven. But at least I don't. I no longer feel bad for like uh, location scouts on this episode. I, I thought yeah. that they just sort of it was a bad location thing. No, it was they. They actually built a crappy eighties hotel set. Um, I do want to talk about Howie, uh, sure. who, who doesn't get a lot of play. You, you mentioned him briefly. So he's a blogger, hmm. right? And he's kind of a proto QAnon conspiracy theorist character. Doesn't who, come across that way, strangely. I, yeah, I, he's supposed to be, but I feel like we're told he's a conspiracy theorist more than he is a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, well, it's a very sort of 2011 look at conspiracy theorists, as right. in, uh, aren't they cute? Not, oh my God, these people are destroying the country uh, <laughs> and refusing to get vaccines and invading the capital. No, this is when uh, we just sort of patted conspiracy theory bloggers on the head and said, Oh, isn't that sweet? That the he even says something at one point. He says like the internet told me so, or the internet told me this. Right? He's right. clearly an internet conspiracy theorist nerd of a certain type. Uh, but I actually liked him. He felt more real to me as a character than than almost any of the others. And it's it's partly because when when he does start saying praise him, is this wonderful mm. moment where it just sort of bursts out of him. Right, it just right. praise him, uh, and it just you know, uh, obviously with it within the uh, confines of the show, this is it's it's supposed to be a thing that you you are joyous about, you're rapturous about when you when you finally get to to saying praise him, um, and he really got that across, and I don't feel like any of the other victims did, uh, and I think it would have been a lot stronger if they'd all had it just sort of burst out of them, uh, because I was I was strangely unmoved by by Rita's death. Uh, I know it happens a little too fast. It does happen really fast, and it just sort of 
like a lot of the episodes, seems kind of disconnected, like a series mm-hmm. of scenes that were strung together. And she's just she's on the phone and she's come out of the room with the phone and she's like, Hey doctor, please don't don't watch me like this. It's it's all cool, it's chill. I found my faith, you know, I'm good. And uh yeah. and the doctor turns the screen off so he doesn't see it. And you know, Rory sort of high, averts his face from the screen, and you're like, you you get the sense it was supposed to be a lot scarier a death than it actually was. Yeah, well, that's another thing. Okay, so I agree with about the Howie stuff that that he was a better played victim of all of them. Um, I also particularly liked his dialogue with oh, what's the alien's name again? Um, Gibbous, is that right? Yeah, he was like where he's trying to sort of get him to free him. And he, his, he's just sounds really diabolical almost. Who's to say I didn't overpower you, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, really playing on the uh, weaknesses of that. So that, that, that was good. That was probably one of the better exchanges of the whole thing. Um, but all the stuff with, um, uh, with Rita, I mean, like she's fun. Well, Rita's great, but you don't necessarily feel that, that she's a fully fledged companion. You don't like, you get the sense of the episode wants you to believe that she could be, you know, the next Amy and Rory. Um, Mm. and she's in many ways, she's sort of a proto Yaz. Um, Oh yeah, that's true. As a character, you know, she has, she talks about the Muslim version of, of hell, right? Yes. Yes. Which is very interesting. And, you know, that that's where she believes they are. Uh, but she also has this sort of bright, sunny disposition and very can-do attitude, uh, very companionish. And I don't know why it doesn't quite work. Um, maybe because we're used to, like, not emotionally identifying with all the people the Doctor meet because they usually meet a grisly end, so we kind of protect ourselves uh, when we see it. But, yeah, it also just, like, I, yeah, I think she could have made a great companion, but I don't think she's given a lot of... Uh, a great showcase in in this episode. She doesn't have a lot to do, actually. Yeah. Well, other notable things about the episode, uh, there's another Star Trek reference. So I remember when I thought for a moment that the only (laughs) Star Trek reference might have been um, the bit in uh, either The Lie of the Land or there was another one in that that, uh, season. No, (laughs) one of the girls in Howie's fear room Teases him that he knows Klingon or something like oh, that. Oh yes, so. what's what's Klingon for loser? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's Howie's nightmare. Poor Howie. See that that kind of you know that's dials right. up your your sympathy for the guy as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So then there's also the woman at the beginning who we only see the doctor and their uh, Amy and Rory never meet her, but her name is Lucy Hayward. She was yeah. actually originally in the script. She was supposed to be Lucy Miller. But that someone stepped in, and real probably Nick Briggs, and said like, "Whoa, that's that's name of a companion in Big Finish." So don't ah. don't, don't use Lucy Miller. Um, yeah, Lucy Hayward, who's sort of a uh, who's who's the police officer in Torchwood. Uh, oh yeah, um, so oh, sorry, the Eve Miles character. I forget her name. Yeah, Gwen. Oh, I should know them. How could we not know this? <laughs> Gwen, uh, Gwen, I think is right. Gwen. The, the, yes. Gwen Cooper. Gwen Cooper uh, has has a very Gwen Cooper kind of feel, and mm. it's just sort of a random police officer, and we never hear of her again. We just see the doctor reads her diary, 
which is yeah. again supposed to be a moment that has greater emotional resonance than it does. Well, she we could, just... she conveniently has decides to start keeping a diary or right when she's about to be murdered so that people can pick up the sheets later. That was the other yeah. thing. That was the other point I was trying to get across earlier. Okay. So again, like the, the, the logical things you can pick, like it's almost feels unfair to keep picking up mm. the logic here. So the yeah, beast, we're shooting fish in a barrel here. The beast kills people, um, but there's not a mark on them. So there's, you know, I'll accept that for whatever reason, uh, the beast has to touch them to do it but there's not a mark on them. Mm. And some of the bodies are taken and some aren't, you know, like where, where are the rest of the bodies of all those people that they saw on the, on the, uh, the, the drawing or the, the pictures. Yeah. But, and then there's a point where they, I think Joe is the one that's been dragged away for part of it, but then he's just left for no reason. Like, like what, what the beast thought it couldn't, handle the people coming to him so they decided to drop it maybe he couldn't because maybe that's maybe that's ultimately the the takeaway we're supposed to have is that the beast is actually physically very weak you know like it can't it can't overpower anybody Um, yeah so we get the scenes with three times we get the scenes of the corpses being laid out among the dolls which just as you say as you mentioned earlier about the dolls just raises more more questions than it answers yeah Um, there are a lot of logical leaps that you have to make. There's a lot of holes that you have to fill in this episode, including this notion that that faith is the response to fear, uh, mm. which may that may be an obvious connection for some people. Um, it wasn't for me. Maybe I wasn't. I was. I was raised Church of England, so I was, as as we say in Britain, that's kind of like being raised agnostic, um, and it just you know, it's not very, not a very strong religious influence in your life. Um, it, the, if you remember the, the famous Eddie Izzard sketch about the Church of England, cake or death, um, <laughs> there are no fundamentalists in the Church of England because they'd be going around chanting cake or death. Um, so, yeah, maybe in, in my mind, it's just not connected, uh, like it's a natural opposite, you know. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they needed to do a little bit more work in this episode to make us draw that connection. Like, obviously, when people are scared, they they turn to their faith and and that's what the monster feeds on. Yeah, it just a lot of stuff like that. We also, you know, going back to Rita, we don't get to see what's in her room, so we don't get mm. to see what's in the doctor's room. We don't get to see what's in. Well, Rory's didn't we see room. her her father giving her a hard time about marks or something like that? Wasn't yeah, that- we we have a random PE teacher as well at some point. You're right. Yeah, she does. She we we do get to see her her parents. Kind of get it, get on her case a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that she can get good marks or something like that, which yeah. sounds a little stereotypical too. But again, yes, bit of a trope. Immigrant parents. Um, yeah. yeah. So and that, the, the PE teacher is a weird one. That is really mm-hmm. random because there's a point where Rory says, or the doctor and Rory have an exchange, and they sort of conclude that Rory isn't really scared of anything, which is like, okay, settle down. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. In terms of it's, like, is, I mean, just, maybe. is Rory not scared of anything because he spent two thousand years as a as an Auton centurion? Um, yeah, I suppose you could say uh, they should have said that. Honestly, yeah, you know, yeah. he just says something general like, "Well, after traveling with you for so long, uh, I'm not really scared of anything." Which, of course, foreshadows because he says like in the, in the past tense, mm. which um, obviously foreshadows the ending. Um, yeah. 
I'm not scared of anything, but but I'm out. You know, in lieu of a gold clock, please give me a nice red sports car. <laughs> but then I guess I guess the PE teacher is like his fear, maybe. And this never really made clear. Yeah. Like, which is like you know, you have all this screen time. <laughs> like, why are you squandering it? Like, give us a little more, little more substance here to make us really appreciate the world you're trying to build. It's so weird. It's as yeah. if, you know, there was a part of 1984 where, you know, Winston Smith is just going down the corridors of the Ministry of Love and he's opening other doors and you're not even sure which one is his fear. Like, oh, there mm-hmm. are rats coming out of that one. Maybe that's my fear. I don't know. <laughs> like, it just doesn't, you know, you're gonna, if you're going to make the whole episode about that, match the fear to the character, please. And, and tell us, like, make it clear who's who was afraid of the clown. Um, and maybe yeah. make the clown actually scary. And and why was the the Tavolian guy, uh, whose whole they they are introduced here? By the way, we we see them again in Under the Lake, um, right? That that whole base under siege episode of the Capaldi era. Um, but why was great, it like that off right away? You know? Yeah, you think it'd be great idea. Great idea. Yeah. A species that likes to be conquered feels very Douglas Adams esque. I love anything in Doctor Who that feels Douglas Adams esque. Um, but why then would he actually be scared of the weeping angels? Why yeah. Does that make sense? It's like, just it, it's it's a it's just an excuse to have a mislead, you yeah. know? Because we're think it's like one of theirs. But honestly, you're not as as into you're not really playing a guessing game there. Oh, whose fear is this? Is that like you're kind of not really like is that what we're supposed to be doing, you know, mm. Toby Whitehouse? Um and there's there's a throwaway line at the end that almost makes it all meaningless because I think they say something like it's glitching. So it wasn't like the rooms weren't getting reset. So like some of those might have been from like 10 victims ago. <laughs> yeah. And and so you're like, OK, well, uh, maybe that was the PE teachers from, you know, the bug guy or whatever. <laughs> the and, and honestly, with, with a lot of this stuff, you know, you, you, you're sort of. Often you're prepared to give Doctor Who a lot of leeway, right? Yeah. Because it's not the show with the biggest budget, and it is for kids, fundamentally. But in terms of things that scare you, I'm not going to give Doctor Who any leeway on that score at all. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm got, they've had nearly 60 years of practice at this stage of scaring us, of identifying right. our fears. Uh, so no, you don't, especially not when Toby Woodhouse was apparently thinking of this for two seasons. This was originally going to be where, uh, Vampires of Venice was in the previous season. season yeah. It's, 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 he put all of his energy in sort of mood and like overall creepiness, mm. uh, and less so into the actual sort of devices he was sort of, uh, working with there. But again, like I gotta say, I can't hate on it too much for that because I think that the overall, it kind of works. Like I got, I thought it was creepy. I really like the arc, and and the and the overall point it's making. The, the arc with um, Amy and Rory, and the overall point it's making about the Doctor and his companions and the danger. And I mean, if you think about that writ large, not just on Amy and Rory, you know, mm-hmm. he 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 kind of travels with companions. If he has a rule, if the Doctor has a rule, he travels with companions until they leave him sort of naturally after a year or two or whatever it is like uh, where they, they find something else. They want to live their lives. They realize they can't do this forever Mm. or he sort of forces them out, which is rare, but it has happened. Like if you argue like maybe this is kind of a less articulated or that what's happening now is a more articulated version of what happened with Sarah. 
So like yeah. the doctor kicks her out ostensibly because she can't go to Gallifrey, which makes no freaking sense because he's taken everyone else <laughs> to Gallifrey since. And it was probably more like, well, Sarah's been traveling a while. We're getting tight and she's going to die at some point. Her luck will run out. She's she's mortal. And this has come up time and again in our like um, – you know, our podcasts in that, like with particularly with, with Clara in that she got reckless and mm-hmm. um, same with um, Rose in the idiot's lantern. There's, there's a point when they try to be a little too doctorish and they were, well, they're not yes. time Lords and they don't have all the abilities and the knowledge and the invulnerability. That's a, that's a dangerous game to play. And they it really is. like, they pay the price and yeah, but they both did to some extent, Rose and Clara. Um, it, it's interesting. You, you bring up a point I hadn't considered that, you know, yes, that there are all these situations where the doctor will just sort of drop off his companions and be like, no, your time is done. In the case of Sarah, it was, um, what was that? Hand, Hand of Fear was her last episode. She, right. she she actually says, before the doctor drops her off, before he gets the message from Gallifrey, she's actually like, that's it. I'm done. That planet was ridiculous. I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> and then she changes her mind, right, very quickly. So maybe it's it's one of these situations where the, the doctor will dump you if you if you say even slightly a thing that will, you know, that suggests that you don't want to travel with him anymore. Like Rory putting travels with the doctor in the past tense. The doctor's like, oh. Okay, uh, <laughs> Time's up. you guys, you guys are going to dump me. I better dump you first, and and oh, give him a nice wow. red sports cigar as compensation. The so, preemptive yeah. breakup, and yes, I think the doctor does that, and I think that is sort of suggested by. There's a scene right at the end of the episode where he's alone in the TARDIS, and he's clearly not happy mm-hmm. being alone in the TARDIS. Yeah, he kind of has a little bit of a mini breakdown for the doctor in there. Uh, this is the thing he knows he should not be alone he knows that i mean he's had Mm -hmm. enough times where he's been alone and uh hasn't gone well and uh, the 10th doctor though towards the end that was kind of all about that with the waters of mars and just generally like traveling alone and sort of going to a darker place as dark as david Tennant could be (laughs) which isn't that dark in some ways but you know thematically i got it so we all kind of understand um and i think he understands even better than he did probably in his, you know, the classic series that he, he needs companions. It's just that he's got to figure out this bargain with them that they can only stay a while before they're, you know, again, their luck will run out. So he, he you know, that that might be another take on why it's this revolving door, um, you know, partly because yeah. the doctor I really is, feel like- is emotionally immature, but also because he actually genuinely fears that they're going to die if they stay with him too long. All these hundreds of years, and the Doctor still has not kind of come up with a kind of legal boilerplate contract for you to sign when you get on board the TARDIS. <laughs> I really feel like there should be some contract. You know, first of all, Clause 1, you voluntarily assume the risk of death, uh, death, right. dismemberment, or being trapped in an alternate universe. Um, these, these are all possible outcomes. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you may be dislocated in time uh, and time locked so that I cannot save you and I'll be standing over your grave. Uh, Rule you, one. You may be splintered in my timeline. It is always this line. dangerous. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are all these outcomes to traveling in the TARDIS and, and it really, it should be an overarching theme of the show and it's mentioned a lot, but it's not, don't feel like it's given the gravitas that it deserves. Yeah. 
that this this is a lonely man in a box. Uh, or at least, does he say madman in a box in this episode? Well, I, I forget if he actually says the line, but it is obviously a very yeah. neat. No, he does. He does. When he's trying to talk yeah. Amy into shattering his her faith in him. Yes. And oh, it yeah. is. I'm just a it's a really. I, I, don't, I, Which, I don't think this was. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this was necessarily deliberate when Moffat wrote the 11th hour, but it, it does nicely bookend that as well, where he says at the end of that episode, it's such a great quote. Uh, it's one of the best quotes. Um Whereas Amy Pond, there's something you better understand about me because it's important. And one day your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. And it's it's Which, a great line. It's fun. Yeah. And it's it, it's honestly one of the best moments in like, – I mean, we, we'll talk about the 11th hour when we get to it. And there's a lot to be praised about that episode. But just Smith's performance right there is so, like, perfect. And he just wins her over and the viewer over instantly. Because he's so fun and so like into, and it's like okay, of course I'm going with this guy. Um, but, I didn't realized, by the way, how much a recurring line that is. And of right. course, we've 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 been to dark water, death, and heaven, um, and so we know that that is the conclusion of Capaldi's first season. Is that he's he spends the whole season asking whether or not he's a good man. No, I'm just a madman in a box, right? That's the. But I didn't realize how much that had recurred in the Smith era as well. Like so, it's yeah, kind it's, of not really even a spoiler when he realizes it as Capaldi. Yeah, it's very much a Moffaty thing. I mean, Moffat loves that description. I think you know, Madman in a Box. I think it gives him a bit more of a license to take his sort of fairy tale take on on the Doctor and and the show. Um, that it's just this sort of magical thing, and you could end up anywhere and pull anything you want out of it, and that's a great approach, um, and it really works for him. Um, so, but. I did like that that this was a nice little bookend to that because it's sort of mm-hmm. like the it's also the other the other side to it, right? Yo, you are a madman in a box. This is this is it's not good in this case. Yep. Like you're not actually someone who can help me here. Like I'm going to get out of this simply by, you know, not believing in you anymore. And so um so yeah, it was it was a fitting end. I think, you know, again, all that worked. I wish it was a little more logical. I wish I was a little more into the actual goings on of the episode. Um, but generally, um, generally I came out sort of on, uh, on the right side of this one. I would give it sort of a, a thumbs up overall. How about you? Well, I'm going to say thumbs sideways, probably mostly down because of the execution of the episode. Um, I think so. So we've, we've encountered a lot of the benefits of traveling, traveling randomly through the doctor's timeline as we've been doing. I think this may be a downside of it because the, we we don't get the memory of the preceding episode, which was the girl who waited, um, oh. which again is sort of an excellent example of the problems of traveling with the Doctor. That you know, there's a whole extra version of Amy created, who is bitter and twisted and has to wait for the Doctor for what decades, mm. um, in this you know alien planet with the whole uh, quarantine situation. Which I'm surprised that right. at, at no point in the pandemic has the randomizer t- taken us that a b- very yeah. pandemic. Speaking of foreshadowing, episode. right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I, I feel like the ending of the God Complex would have had a lot more power if you watched it right after the girl who waited, because together they really showcase why that the why Amy and Rory shouldn't be traveling with the Doctor and what the issues of traveling with the Doctor are. Uh, and we don't, I don't think feel like we see that quite as clearly in this episode 
um, and it doesn't have quite as much resonance when the doctor tries to destroy her faith in him at the end. Um, yeah, no, that's a fair, fair to say. I'd actually forgotten about that episode, but it does make sense yeah. when they do these sort of epic moments with companions. And it's not even necessarily just a new series thing. When companions mm-hmm. leave, it was sort of a big deal, even in the classic series. And I do remember um, when in Tegan lives in Resurrection of the Daleks, that was mm-hmm. a sort of at the end of like an arc where I think the, the res- resolution of the previous two or three episodes was like, everybody dies, <laughs> like, yeah. something like that. So you could kind of get the sense like, Oh yeah, this woman who, who got on board to, cause it was fun. You know, it makes a lot of sense that she's not really having fun anymore. So um, that's a good point. This is, this is definitely um, you have to sort of draw deep onto your memory of Dr. Who and when it, what, who these characters are and sort of what went on with them to really appreciate it. But again, like I say, I think with that sort of knowledge, even if I'm not feeling it, I was like, oh, I get what they were doing here with mm-hmm. um, with uh, what the points they were making with the doctor, the Amy Rory and his companions. And like, you know, I think I can translate that to as a template for how he looks at his companions sort of generally and sort of appreciate it more on sort of an intellectual level, even though I wasn't really feeling it as much this time around. Mm-hmm. So it worked. Yeah, it's interesting that the all the Amy, all the Amy Pond and Rory episodes that Randomizer could have taken us to. This is the first one. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it takes us to a false ending uh, of Amy and Rory first. Not their strongest episode, but they are. It did remind me how great they were as as companions. They Amy and Rory are almost the, the prototypical TARDIS team. Um, you know, and that, that dynamic, it's its hard to replicate. It's hard to do that again with the whole, you know, it's kind of a love triangle situation almost, but but one that's bubbling under the surface so yeah. much that, you know, Rory accepts it. He's fine. He gets it. You can't really compete with a god. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't so have that, to. So he yeah. doesn't. And that's, you know, part of the reason Amy loves him. So Exactly. Uh, yeah, they're great. I mean, the thing is, such great casting at the time with Karen Gillan, Matt Smith, and Arthur Darvall. They're all very close in age. They obviously all got along really well. You very very much got a sense it was a TARDIS team. It wasn't just yeah. the Doctor with a couple of people who are like shrugging and trying to sort of keep up. Like they, you really get the sense they're they're almost equals, um, yeah. and uh, much more so than I would say the Fam. Or um, really any other era, almost. Um, so, no, it totally worked. Uh, the, the coming back, coming at the end, not quite the end of their run. Yeah, it's a very, it's an interesting way to sort of pick up on them. Just sort of like, oh yeah, here's here's where they almost left for good. And I mm-hmm. remember thinking at the time, like the the doctor doesn't really have like traditional companion relationships as much anymore. It probably took me a little while into the Clara era because it was like, this was sort of the beginning of the comings and goings of Amy and Rory, you Mm. know, and then Clara never quite fully got on board the TARDIS. So I kind of thought like, Oh, is this the new normal that companions just kind of like they hang out and have have an apartment and a room in the TARDIS and (laughs) just kind of go back and forth. Uh, And uh, I think that was kind of a bit of a Moffity thing that, he, he sort of defended by saying, well, he, I, he wrote these characters a certain way and they would simply wouldn't do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. You'd sort of like, it's the, the modern companion. You want, you want it all right. You want your regular life and your doctor life and you can have them both. 
just it doesn't really work that quite so well. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely not the end. It was so clearly not the end. If yeah. you'd been watching the whole season, you knew that we we had to get to the impossible astronaut stage. We had to yeah. uh we have to figure out how the doctor dies by the shores of Lake Silencio. Um which obviously that was coming up in the Wedding of River Song two episodes down the line. So it was sort of quite obviously the um this this is the moment where the band gets off stage after you know before playing their greatest hit uh are they going to come back for an encore i think they might (laughs) (laughs) well this is the thing this is why this it was good to see this episode of sequence because the bad taste that some of those choices made in my mouth throughout that season like for example the um the sort of the baby getting away and then realizing it's river and then like Amy seemingly like not quite being okay with, but acquiescing to the idea of like, okay, I'm never going to raise my, my child. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get to do that. Um, That never sat well with me. You know, like I was just like, no, he's, he was supposed to get her back and he never really did. And um, you know, I was still kind of smarting from that. These, these weird sort of choices Moffat made in terms of telling an interesting twisty turny story, but just like, uh, no, that doesn't, that didn't work. So, so being able to look at it now and try to sort of appreciate this sort of as a standalone without that baggage that, that, you know, it sort of cuts both ways, right? One, you don't get mm. the previous episode and sort of feeling the emotional arc of the season, but there, there, there's a good side of that too. Cause there were, there were not, there were some bad choices made, I will say in season six. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm more of a season six fan than a lot of people. I love the team of Amy, Rory, the Doctor, and River. I think they make a, a great little mixed up family and would actually have loved to have seen more seasons of them all traveling together. Yeah, no, I don't want me to slam the seed the entire season. I think it does have mm. some real classics and we'll get to them. We'll get to them eventually. Mm. But um, just the, the couple of beats there of like, oh, yeah, that you just you suddenly reminded in me the whole thing of where the, the child is. Uh, they you discover it's River. They have to go, and the doctor promises he's going to go find her. They do, but then they don't actually. She never gets her back as a baby, which is like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> Get, that didn't must work. be time locked. Must be. <laughs> All right, Chris. What 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 would have happened had the evil plot succeeded? Yeah. Okay. So I've been uh, dreading this part of the show. Um, what even is the evil plot? The evil plot is to provide food for the Minotaur. Uh, again, we've established he just can't be fed Minotaur kibble. He has to receive people who are activating their faith because they're afraid of something. Well, if the evil right. plot succeeded, I think it's probably simple. It's just Amy dies. They, did, yeah. they don't get to her in time. They don't figure it out fast enough. Amy's killed by the Minotaur, the Naimon. Um, so then what? Yeah. The cousin of the Naimon. Um, yeah, then what? Then then does it go, does it keep eating people? Does it go after Rory? Um, well, R- Rory would have a breakdown. Rory would be, be hell-bent on, uh, hell-bent, hell-bent on uh, revenge and want to yes. kill this thing. I think you would have the doctor and Rory figuring that, you know, figuring out what to do, getting this thing at its mer- at their mercy, and probably you'd have the doctor holding it back. Yeah. Or, but then I think the thing would die anyway, right? Because it was, it was on its last legs and 
Yeah, so it's probably going to die anyway. Rory tells us he's not scared of anything, and if we do indeed encounter Rory's room, then he he clearly isn't. So he's not going to be faith food. Uh, the doctor just kind of you know looks in the room, is like, oh yeah, of course it's you. Doesn't seem very afraid of whatever's in his room one hundred one uh, or room eleven. Um, so I don't see him being minotaur food either. So the minotaur was just eventually starved to death. Um, well, unless the uh, thing gets in orbit around somewhere else and hoovers up some more people to be food yeah. for this thing, which I guess is how they designed the prison. Again, makes no sense. But um, no, I think I think they would work overtime to to stop this thing. You know, like they because they would just just worry just out of sheer revenge. Yeah. Um, so they would do it. They'd sort of shut the place down. The thing yeah, would the probably start are- dying because it couldn't harvest anyone anymore. There would it's be never some actually a threat, right? It's yeah. already dying, so you never feel that level of threat from it, hmm. uh, which kind of maybe goes hand in hand with the lack of scariness uh, in any of the rooms. But, uh, but yeah, I think that you're right. The most interesting outcome of this is uh, widower Rory, and what does that look like? What does he do? Does he? Does the Doctor feel like he has to take Rory with him on his adventures? going forward because he's got nothing left back on earth. And Why would Rory want to do that though? Rory, yeah. I think would just be bitter and just want to leave. Yeah. Would, would he still want his sports car? I don't <laughs> or maybe yeah, he would, and maybe he'd just sort of spend a lot of time drinking and, and, you know, driving at high speeds. Um, well, maybe, you know. maybe then Rory becomes, like the the villain of the next season, yeah. the rest of the season, and is like Ooh. he essentially becomes the Doctor Who version of like Baron Zemo, who wants yes. to take out Time Lords and supernatural stuff, and wants to like make sure people can just live normal lives. Um, oh god! And maybe he just becomes a you know an agent of the Master or something. That's a great kind of season that never was. Is is vengeful Rory? Mm. Uh, you know, drawing on all of his uh, past history, maybe he can call up Orton Rory. Yeah, um, he's got two thousand years experience. He knows where all the bodies are buried. Literally, yeah. Uh, yeah, he would be a great sort of antagonist for the Doctor. I really want to see that because yeah. Arthur Darville has such range. Uh, I was actually just listening to the the Sandman audio. Uh, on Audible, uh, really wonderful um, plays based on the Sandman graphic novels by Neil Gaiman, uh, in which Rory plays uh, William Shakespeare. Uh, oh, Arthur nice! Plays William Shakespeare, and yeah, he he's such a talented actor, and he barely gets to do anything in Doctor Who except sort of play this this mousy guy who kind of eventually saves the day every so often. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, I don't think it would yeah. be totally correct, but I know he obviously was in uh, Broadchurch. And yes. so he, Chris Chibnall obviously was worked with it. Maybe it'd be nice to see Rory again, maybe in one of the specials next year. Yes. Um, and they could all kind of like come back and I don't know, I guess, give us, a, I guess, give us a could you do a solo Rory? Rory? Does Rory work without Amy though? <laughs> well, know. it could be, it could be a splinter version of Rory. It could be the Auton version of Rory. I'm still, there you go. Auton Rory. I love it. I'm still not 100% clear on how Auton Rory became real Rory again. I think it was something to do with the, the, uh, recompopulation of the universe in the end of time. Um, uh, not the end of time. The, uh, oh God, the big bang. Yeah, no, it was a big bang. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so many universe reboots in the show. So, <laughs> so little time to sort them out. 
yeah. So, oh God, yeah, I'd love to see Rory back. That would be great. Um, More Rory. Maybe you, you, you'd get a very different and darker version of the wedding of River Song for sure. Mm. Um, oh yes, because. I mean, Rory might actually be wanting to do what the Doctor does in Hellbent and sort of go back in time and kind of pluck Amy out of out of death, you know, seconds Ooh. before her death, and get another TARDIS and go off traveling with her. Um, now that's or sort of recover older Amy somehow from from the yes. previous episode, so that mm. he can somehow, yeah, Ooh, still have that's... a wife out of it, even though she's or considerably older. Or going earlier in the season, Ganger Amy. Ooh, yeah! Mm. All these versions, so many opportunities yeah. here. It's kind of like a menu. This. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, I'm going to say the thing we always say at the end of "What if the Big Planet Succeeded," which is "Big Finish." Give us a call. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We probably should have done this first. I almost forgot about it, but we should probably promise what we said at the beginning. What about where was where was Splinter Clara here? <laughs> Oh, I I think Splinter Clara uh, spent years training as a clown. And, ah, uh, <laughs> it's actually her underneath the makeup, that's sitting there being sad. In Here's that my room. thought: yep. she like fills in at least one of the plot holes, which is that if this this prison is reconfiguring its walls to screw with these guys, why does it keep them together? Maybe Clara mm-hmm. is like sort of operating that in the background and sort of the the service chamber on that the the space prison and is like just making sure the group can stay together to put the to to put together what this thing is and the doctor can save everybody just in the nick of time or everybody left anyway so do, do you think splinter splinter clara is really a neutral force in the doctor's life uh, at this point because she herself or at least her first splinter in terms of uh uh Os, oswald uh, the oswin the uh yeah, Oswin, the, uh, the the Dalek, the Asylum of the Dalek Splinter, is about to enter the scene. So she knows mm. she has to nudge the Doctor towards the first Clara Splinter. So I feel like she's not not a neutral party. And maybe if she is directing this whole thing from behind the scenes, she is nudging it towards a state where the the uh, where Amy and Rory will leave the TARDIS. So Ooh, that, that set Clara the stage for her. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to get really technical. You could say like you got to do Splinter Clara where she was, but also then you'd have to like where was the great intelligence <laughs> as well? Because <laughs> it came back and was like, okay, I'm going to screw with the Doctor and turn all of his victories into losses. But Clara yes. comes back. You know, we all know how that turns out. She just comes and and I'd foils forgotten the- that that's that's the whole reason for jumping into the timeline in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually she's actually trying to prevent an evil plot from succeeding herself. Exactly. So anyway, I think I think she's in the back there, in the back of the spaceship, making sure that the team can stay together. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Yep, yep. And she would know how how to make a an '80s British hotel look particularly crappy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of a uh, lot of baggage, so to speak, that she carries. <laughs> um, okay, better call for bell service. All right, guys. Uh, that is the God complex. Uh, I think you've got a plunger. You said you had a plunger sideways. My plunger was up just barely. (laughs) So we're going to go with that. I think, I think a, a Dalek, an original idea and an an auger and an execution. Hmm. I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, we were promised a Dalek, got an Ogron. Dalek still is something we're dreaming about. Um, Isn't it ironic? 
maybe it's a it's a it's a no grind with an eye stock. Um, okay. All right, uh, Chris, it is time to find yes. out where we are going from the God Complex. And so we're going to have to pull out the Doctor Who randomizer, and which yeah. constitutes two, two devices, two separate devices, the Codex, which shows the entirety of Doctor Who as a television series. It's our Rosetta Stone. It's our map. Uh, and we also have the Executor, which again, yes. can you explain... What the executor the, ex- is. the part of the executor is being played by random.org, which uses atmospheric noise to generate true random numbers because computer programs are pseudo-random and cannot generate actual random numbers. They just guess at them. Uh, but random.org uses atoms bouncing around the atmosphere, and uh, which is a, a wonderful application of true randomness. And boy, has it been random so far. Uh, <laughs> it's been pretty random. I thought that's, you know... We, we've, the, the randomizer has some preferences, we can tell. It loves Capaldi. Loves Capaldi. Uh, it doesn't love Matt Smith, because it, it uh, well, other than Day of the Doctor, it took us to a very middling Matt Smith episode. There, there are certain doctors it just doesn't believe in the existence of at all. Mm. Uh, we haven't had any six or seven or eight, obviously, uh, or nine. Um and, and we just had a ton of Capaldi, quite a surprising amount of uh, Hartnell. Mm. Um, it also uh, yeah. loves episodes where there's more than one character named Lethbridge Stewart. <laughs> Whether that's two versions of our beloved Brigadier or even uh, yes. perhaps the Brigadier and his daughter. Um, yeah, two versions of Kate mm-hmm. uh, in, in The Day of the Doctor, obviously. Um, yeah. It's, well, it's even if of... you look at uh, Death in Heaven, yeah. they're both in it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's possibly the most direct lineage uh, in the Leftwood Stewart family indicated in that episode. But anyway, we, we are not yet counting Flux as our 298th story. Right. So I am entering a minimum of one and a maximum of 297 into random.org. And Pete, whenever you say the go, codex is open. It is time right. to activate the randomizer in three, two, one. Don't blink. 68. Ooh, we're going early. We're going early. Here we go. Okay. And we are at the Green Death. Ooh. We're back to wow. Pertwee. Back in the Pertwee era. And uh, also back to another episode where a companion leaves. Ooh, yeah. There's... There's the pattern that's emerging. And and Green Death, correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of, I, I don't think I've seen it, but it is mentioned often in the same breath as Inferno, um, as a sort of an, an environmental story of the early Indeed. 70s. Um, and uh, yeah, the randomizer wants to draw our attention to the destruction of the planet. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely got some um, some interesting sci-fi themes here, very much of the era. There's uh, there's some big bugs, there's some talking computers, um, and definitely an environmental theme. No, what's also interesting is that the only other episode we've done with Joe Grant yes. is her first episode, Terror and this is her last. So we're we're getting mm. the beginning and the end of the Joe Grant era uh, before we've done any of the intervening episodes. So that'll be interesting. That's fascinating. See how far and, she's and- come. 
coming from a, a false companion leaving episode to a true companion leaving episode, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to compare the two right there. And of course, the next companion coming in was Sarah Jane. Yes, uh, Sarah was, was immediately after. Yeah, no, that's yeah, a good one. This will be, uh, be a lot to unpack, I'm sure. Looking forward to it. Pack into our space-time vessel next time we meet. Well, thank you, for though, everyone, for meeting us this time and listening to us take in the God complex and uh, simplify it. <laughs> Listen, this has been Pulse Open. If you have not yet subscribed to us, the podcast, Pulse Open, please do. Uh, we're available on all the podcast places. Uh, that's in case you're listening to this on some web embed or uh, some other thing that someone has referred you to. Uh, but we are on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Google, we're on all the good services. Please subscribe to us there. Please leave us a review. Again, we love to hear from you guys. Uh, we'd love to read your review out on the podcast. Uh, if you leave one, we're again, we're not telling you what to put, but we love those five-star reviews. They really do make a difference. The more ratings and reviews you can leave, um, that would really help us reach even more and, and more uh, folks and keep the Pulta open randomizer going forever. Yeah, and if you're wondering what to write, just, just a suggestion. I'm not going to say you should write this, but uh, praise them is a phrase that <laughs> I love it yes praise them that's praise a good them. subject line for your review uh, or for your tweet if you want to follow us on the socials we're at pull to open 63 on Twitter and Instagram and of course on TikTok where we are have our most active most engaged uh, listeners and audience we are at pull to open all one word on TikTok please follow us there comment leave reviews hang out send us an email you know, DMs, slide into them anytime you want. And uh, we'd love to nerd out. All right, we're done. See ya. See ya.